0: When I launched Honest Tea, every crisis was something I lost sleep over and, you know, terrified. And I was grinding my teeth to the point where I would have, um, you know, I'd have to get, uh, I ended up getting a mouth guard because my just really? teeth were were, were breaking. Wow. Um, this time I, <laughs> I actually did crack a tooth uh, last month, so not a good sign. But I, I do have more perspective. I understand that it's part of the journey. And the journey is the destination. You know, the, the goal here is to continue to learn and bring people along on this journey with us. And, and um, so I, I'm savoring the journey a little more than I might have it for my honesty days.
1: You are listening to the Real Leaders Podcast, where leaders keep it real. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and that wisdom comes from Seth Goldman co-founder of Honest Tea, executive chair of the board at Beyond Meat, and current CEO of Eat the Change, who in today's episode shares what mission-driven entrepreneurs often forget, how consumer diet changes can lead to climate change itself, and that the journey is the ultimate destination. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for the real Seth Goldman. Enjoy. Five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Releaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today is the co-founder and CEO of Eat the Change, Seth Goldman. Seth, thanks for being with us today. Hey,
0: Kevin. Great to be with you.
1: Very excited to have you on. So, Seth, we had you at the Impact Awards a couple weeks ago. You did a presentation on behavior change and eat the change. Now, our audience might know you mainly for your work with Honest Tea. Would you mind sharing real quick what Eat the Change is all about?
0: Sure, yeah. I've been on this journey to help people move to a more sustainable diets and ideally healthier diets. And so Honest Tea, I started 23 years ago. Uh, and then I got involved with Beyond Meat. And I'm chairman of the board there. Uh, and this latest enterprise, Eat the Change, is a – Food company where we're offering what we call chef crafted and planet friendly snacks.
1: Now, Seth, you you consider yourself an activist, right? Yeah. Now, why I saw you had some background in, in politics. Why go into the private sector?
0: Yeah, you know, I've always tried to think about what's the best way to make the most change. And uh, I did work in politics. I met my wife on the campaign, presidential campaign trail back in 88 and uh, worked on Capitol Hill. And then as I was sort of thinking about where impact could come from, I started to think about politics and realized that a lot of those changes go back and forth. You know, you change a um, party or Leader and you see changes undone. And I realize that a lot of the changes that happen in the marketplace are much harder to undo. And you can even look over the past four years, where you know the the shift that's happened towards planet or plant-based diets has been really um, convincing, and it's happened regardless of what's going on in the White House or in sort of political dialogue. Mm. And I feel like those are changes are permanent; are going to continue. And so. Thinking about if we can change the way people eat, that feels like the biggest um, direct way for people to take action against climate
2: change.
1: I would agree with that. I mean, it's this thing we do every single day. Everyone eats three times a day. So there, you know, with product purchases and the consumer touch it has on people can really drive impact now what did you learn with honesty in terms of the sourcing of the ingredients and how it can Mm -hmm. impact the environment but also the communities that serves
0: yeah i mean the first thing we learned with honesty was just around health you know that we could take less sugar out of take sugar out of a product and still make delicious and make people make it part of their habits and that would really change their behavior but also change their health trajectory the calorie consumption And as we learn more about the supply chain, we recognize that organic would be an important step. If we could help uh, communities avoid putting chemical pesticides, chemical fertilizers into their ecosystem, it would be better for their whole biome, all the the plants and animals, as well as the people people picking the product. And then when we learn more about these communities, we recognize there was some opportunity with fair trade to help invest in the workers and in their communities and the economic empowerment. So for me, it was a recognition that there's a whole form of activism available to us as companies. If we can meet a consumer need, we have the opportunity to also make change happen in communities that consumers might not even know about. And as long as we uphold our promise to the consumer, we can deliver a product that's healthy, delicious and nutritious, we get to do all these other things possibly behind the scenes, possibly, you know, in front of the scenes too.
1: Now, Seth, you said you want to make sure that you're meeting the consumer demands. Now, was this something that they were telling you about or was this (laughs) more your idea with with your passions?
0: That's a good point. It started just with my own personal diet and said, I I don't want to drink with all that sugar. How come no one's making a drink that's less sweet? Right. And unfortunately, I had my professor, Barry Nelbop, who agreed there was an opportunity. And the same with Beyond Meat. You know, we always, as a family, felt like veggies weren't good, but we didn't say, boy, I wish somebody would take plants and find a way to reconstruct them in a way that perfectly mimics animal protein. But Ethan Brown had that idea. And when I met him and learned about what he was trying to do, I got involved and helped him scale that business. Um, And here, too, with Eat the Change, we know people feel eco-anxiety. There's a, a sense of frustration or anxiety about what's happening with the climate and a feeling of powerlessness that they can't address it. And so we said, if we could give them foods that are delicious and well-packaged, you know, well-designed, um, but also a planet-friendly approach to them, there'll be demand for that.
1: When it comes to the original like business model that you wrote out, like was that intention in there with being an like honest tea, like honesty, like was being an honest company, maybe a thing you could rely on for your decision-making?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. If you go to the honesty website, we still have our original business plan oh, really? on there. And it, and it talks about, a, it's called an aspiration for social responsibility because we were just getting started. So there was too much to claim we had a done it. But that's involved in all the businesses that I've involved in. You know what I call a mission-driven agenda, and it really underlines everything I've been involved in.
1: Real quick, I was just interested, like your professor, like that's who you started with in the Yale School of Management. Like, what about Barry Nailbuff? Did you like drove you to him?
0: Yeah, I think we really were attracted to each other and the way we thought, the way we approached things. He was someone who's really creative. Um, definitely a little offbeat, not not the sort of straight down the lane type of uh, thinker or, or or even as a professor. And he recognized that uh, I had brought some creativity to the work I did in his class, as well as some projects outside of the class. Mm-hmm. And whenever we had a conversation, it kind of lead to interesting directions. And And I actually had um, continued to dialogue with him before I launched Honest T, but after I graduated from Yale School of Management, mm-hmm where I had ideas by him and he always had thoughtful responses. And so when I came back across this idea for a less sweet drink, I, he was the first person I reached out to and said, you know, I think I'm ready to do something about this. And, and I, and he responded.
1: And now you're working for Calvert Investments at the time. I mean, that's right. That's a pretty lucrative career. Like what made you want to go become an entrepreneur with all this risk?
2: Yeah, it
0: was great for me. Um, but it felt a few steps removed from the arena, right? The arena. We were just investing in companies that were um, trying to do less bad. <laughs> and so not only we weren't the companies, we were, we were just representing the investors. So I always had in my mind, if I could be the one actually not just avoiding bad things, but doing good things, that would be a really um, attractive thing to do. And I've always had that creative impulse so um, eventually I got restless enough that I felt like I need to go out and give it a try.
1: Well, we're glad you did it. And we're glad you, <laughs> your wife let you as well. Uh, <laughs> oh, she was on board so the whole way. Now you started this in your kitchen and then, you know, Coca-Cola, you know, buys you out, scales the company. What comes along with that?
0: Well, I'd like to think that Coca-Cola and I scaled the company because, you know, I stayed Coke invested back in 2008 and i stayed for the next 11 years so we really grew the business together Mm. and i think that was so important because it helped ensure that as we scaled the business we maintained the mission we maintained the brand ethos and and a lot of the team of course uh and we did grow over 15 fold from when coke first invested so you know that was good to see um but I, that's part of, I think the success for scaling a mission driven brand is making sure you, what we would say, keep it, you keep it honest.
1: Now you said with, uh, you know, Barry, you know, he, he had some good conversations with him. It was, it was nice and personal. He found you more on the creative side. What can you say about the team at Coca-Cola that really, you know, let you be innovative in a space where, you know, it's a, it's a large corporation. Mm-hmm. They've got to you know, maximize shareholder value.
0: Coca-Cola offered us this amazing distribution platform, right? We were in about 15,000 accounts before Coke invested. Mostly of those accounts were natural food stores. And when Coke came in, we scaled to over 150,000 accounts, mm-hmm. you know, including the, the chains I always dreamed of, like McDonald's, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, Subway, all these places where we could have the opportunity to democratize organic food.
1: It- it begs the question because most people think that maximizing shareholder value, you're trying to cut as much cost as possible. Now, when you went to an organic or fair trade, did you experience some trade offs and how do you perceive those? Yeah,
0: no question. I mean, uh, fair trade is absolutely about increasing your cost of goods. Um, and what was exciting about how honesty evolved was that when Coke first invested, we were only, I think, 40% of our teas were. A fair trade certified.
2: Hmm.
0: By three years in, we made all of the teas fair trade certified. And then another two or three years, and we actually converted the entire sugar supply chain to be fair trade certified. So all of those steps involved increasing our cost of goods. They moved very much counter to that stereotype. But to Coca-Cola's credit, they recognized that what we were building was a, a mission-driven brand, and we had to keep it authentic for it to be Relevant to the folks who had embraced it, not the people looking um, for that kind of thing. So uh, I think as long as you're clear about what your guardrails are and what you stand for, uh, and you hold the line on it, you'll be able to scale your impact.
1: Do you see that as an investment or an expense?
0: Well, it is an expense. I mean, it comes out of your cost of goods, but it's what you've created. And obviously, if you're trying to build something long-term sustainable, then you have to keep investing in it.
1: Mm. So let's now uh, go to Eat the Change. Uh, we've, we've got a proc line now. It's a uh, mushroom jerky. Tell us a little bit yeah. about that, how that process went.
0: It's really fun. We have a restaurant concept that we've started here in uh, the mid-Atlantic of the U.S. And it's uh, seven outlets called Plant Burger. Let's see so all plant paste. And as we started learning more about mushrooms, uh, I took the team to go visit a a organic family farm in Pennsylvania. We realized how incredible mushrooms are as an ingredient. They are so versatile. They can take on all types of different tastes, but they're also one of the most sustainable crops because they feed on ways they uh, they can be grown very quickly. They actually are grown inside um, and really an underappreciated crop. And so, with my co founder, change Spike Mendelson, he's, he's a celebrity chef, is a great person to be able to turn mushrooms over and say, make these delicious can. And so, we already had the organic certification, but we really recognized there was an opportunity to try to address every step of the way how to make a friendly offering. So, organic, plant based, or in this case, fungi based. Um, using the imperfect mushrooms or what we call the perfectly imperfect because they taste great they just don't look the size that people expect when they buy it in the store Um, and then making the packaging as recyclable as we can Uh, and then we also took the unusual step of ruling out ingredients that are represent a lot of monocultures and it turns out there's six crops They represent over 57% of all agricultural production in the world. So let's leave all those out. If we're really trying to support more biodiversity, let's commit to using everything except those ingredients. And so it's created a really fun, delicious line that we hope will uh, be embraced by people as a great snack alternative, obviously a great alternative to animal-based meat, but also just a delicious snack, uh, very savory and satiating.
1: I think it will. You know, I think. Uh, let's see. Responsible packaging, uh, sustainable production, grown indoors. Now, how's the water usage with uh, growing mushrooms?
0: Mushrooms are really efficient. They hmm. basically they are very water intense. They they are about ninety percent water, which is a lot. Right. But there's no waste. You don't um, unlike a field where water is sprayed, and then obviously a lot of the water doesn't get absorbed by the plants um there's no real <laughs> spraying of mushrooms so the water or, or it, it's not spent it's it ends up in the mushroom
1: got it yeah and that's that's why it's it's not a plant right like all the, the head of the mushroom is like where all the water is stored it's actually the reproductive part and i think a plant's like the difference between a plant and a mushroom is that it produces like yeah. fruits things like that right interesting and so now when it comes to like a competitive edge Like, do you think that mission-driven products or mission-driven companies hold that competitive edge by creating something that's different Mm. than what's out in the market?
0: You know, it's not a guarantee. Mm. I mean, for me personally, of course, it's a huge motivation. And I I believe for my team as well. But a mistake that mission-driven entrepreneurs often Mm. make is they assume, oh, people are going to love this because of our mission and all we're doing. And the fact is, you've got to, that's not the job they hire you for. So when someone is buying a mushroom jerky, they're buying it because they're hungry and they want something good to eat. Right, Something that tastes good. Uh, And I could tell them all about our environmental commitments and the fact that there's no soy, wheat, corn, rice, or sugar or potatoes. But they're like, well, how does it taste? (laughs) So it's got to taste good. And if it tastes good, and if it's well packaged and priced competitively, then the mission can be an, an advantage. But I often say it's a... It's a it, it's deciding factor. Maybe it's a little tip, but it's the core uh, part of the offering.
1: Well, how, how does it taste? I mean, I was, I was interested oh, to be like, you know, okay, great. how do you choose the different flavors? It's yeah. under 150 calories. What are the health benefits?
0: What's so neat about it is the mushrooms are like a blank canvas. So they just absorb all these different, whatever, spike paints on them. In this case, it's flavors. Um, we have like a, a sea salt and cracked pepper we have a, um, a maple mustard variety and they're just so flavorful um, and it, they're moist they they but they also uh, rehydrate in your mouth um, so it's just a really delicious and fun thing to eat
1: seth you were just at beyond me why make this transition now in your career
0: well i love my work with beyond Meat, and i'm still very you know chair very engaged as chair okay. of the board um but i after we- But in public, we started bringing in um, professionals, which was absolutely the right thing to do. And I thought, this is a good time for me to go back into the startup mode. I like that challenge of starting from scratch. And uh, this was a way to do that. I I, I was joking. I couldn't whether or not I went back into the shallow end of the pool or the deep end of the pool. (laughs) But it's been a lot of fun.
1: Uh, Seth, I'm about to get a little philosophical on you. Is this something that uh, you felt like you needed to do? Like this is something that you felt you're in a position to do with your experience?
2: It's uh, an
0: interesting question. I, I feel like all of the work I do is work I believe in. And I, I try not to spread this around, but all of this work I would do, if I, whether I got paid or not, I do it because I believe in it. Right. Um, So this is, as I think about sort of the way the world's evolving and the the crises we face, climate is such a huge one. And if we don't change the direction we're headed, we're going to end up where we're going, which is totally unsustainable. So I felt like to do everything I could to reverse these trends. Obviously, Beyond Meat is a key part of that as well. And I'm fortunate to continue to support that work as chair of the board. Uh, and then I thought, well, what's an additional way to take action? Because not everybody is eating uh, beyond meat or they're eating you know, meat all the time. There's other things they eat. So how do we create additional food options that can be more sustainable?
1: Do you feel like this could seriously have an impact on the climate? I mean, a lot of people are still debating that right now. Will, mm-hmm. will that many people switch their diets over to have a sincere impact? What would you say to some, a question like that?
0: Well, it has to. And I don't mean eat the change as a brand on its own, right. but it's really a, we need a movement. We need a global movement of people switching their diets. So you are seeing global awareness and hope for action around climate change you're not seeing as much around diet. And there was a wonderful report just issued last week uh, from, by Chatham House about the importance of protecting biodiversity and how it's really central. And the key step they identified was adjusting our diet. So one of the we doing at Eat the Change obviously is launching this brand of mushroom jerky, but we also are doing everything we can to support the nonprofit side. Mm. We announced a grants program last year where we're donating a million dollars over three years to community-based nonprofits that are helping expand and democratize planet-friendly diets. So they work with their communities to educate people, to provide them with options, and help make both healthier and more planet-friendly foods available. So to really galvanize change that has an impact, we need nonprofits, we need government, and we need for-profit businesses Doing that, and we certainly hope to be a leader in that.
1: Seth, a lot of impact CEOs who are for-profit capitalists, as philanthropic as they are, like they will not use those profits to go into a nonprofit. They will invest back into the communities that they serve, such as uh, the tea makers, right in rural communities, building schools for them, things like that mm-hmm. to support mm-hmm. you know their their well-being. Why go into this nonprofit? What was the thinking and logic behind that?
0: Well interesting. There's actually two separate pots of money. So okay. the grants program is personal money that my wife and I are okay. donating, and we're doing it uh, under the name of each. But those are checks being written out of our own okay. uh, bank account because it's what we believe in. Like I say we okay. would do it whether it was a company or not. But with respect to the business, I actually think that the business that we conduct, the the, the that's what so when we can support these farmers organic family farms of mushrooms or other crops that we're growing um, and we can help support their business model that will in turn displace some of the less sustainable agricultural models that are out there so I've always been a believer that the, the when you say follow the money it's it's the the biggest checks we write as a business are to our suppliers and so how who who we buy from and how they grow their product, those are the key drivers of our impact. How,
1: how now, how closely do you work with these suppliers now, especially with the honesty example? Like you said, you didn't start out with fair trade. Like how, yeah. what were those relationships lo- like and how did they change?
0: Yeah, they grew over the years as we continued to get to know these communities. We were able mm-hmm. to, you know, first help them move, make the shift to organic and then to fair trade. And then, with fair trade, we got the opportunity to understand their needs more deeply, and they always were the ones to identify where the money should go. So we never said, "Hey, we want to go build a playground if that wasn't something they want." And by the way, they weren't interested in playgrounds. they had much more basic needs. Um, but they, we would occasionally suggest something, and so we worked on a project up in northern India with eye care. Um, I had a friend who had created a nonprofit to make Affordable eye care available, and I said, "Could we bring this to the community?" And we uh, had over six thousand villagers up in northern India receive their first eye care appointment, and some of them got glasses, some of them had treatment for um, uh, cataracts and that kind of thing. Hmm. But eye care is critical because it connects directly to literacy or the ability to work. You know, if you can't see details, you, not only can you not pick tea leaves well, but you can't. So uh, uh, seamst- Seamster or um, other involves being able to see. So we really want to make sure we're connecting with the community around the needs they identify.
1: And, and just going off your point of how the you know, private sector can make meaningful change, that's one example of transforming a life. Now, wh- that, that's kind of what impact means to me, Seth, transforming lives. What does impact mean to you?
0: Well, certainly lives are important, but think about the planet, too. Um, so what we're doing at e- the change we hope, is giving people a vehicle to change their impact on the planet. So the ideal form of impact that I think about is how do we we empower people? Because companies on their own don't have much impact. It's only when they succeed in building a relationship with that that impact is multiplied. I'll, I'll give you an example. At Honest Tea, we uh, successfully got Honest Kids to be carried by McDonald's. And that was such a huge win because the drink that McDonald's was offering before we went in was about 80 calories per serving. And we brought a, a calorie drink in. And we sold over 200 million units through McDonald's, which meant that in a year, we were able to remove over a billion calories from the American diet. Mm. And that was only because we got the companies and the consumers to embrace this approach. And of course, we do that We have kids to have an appetite for less sweet drinks. Uh, and then also, it's the first organic product for millions of these consumers. And so that's exciting because it starts them getting exposed to these ingredients and to this
1: approach at an earlier age. I had an odd day in my life, Seth, with Honest Tea. I went. I was hungry. It was a Sunday. I went to Five Guys, and mm-hmm. you know, when you get the meal, that's the thing. That's where they'll get you, right? You get the meal, which comes with a drink and fries. Yeah. So I get a burger, right? You know, and then I like, wait. Coca Cola's here, and I went down. I was like, "Oh, I'll get the honest tea. I don't drink soda anymore." So oh. I, I get the honest tea. It was great. And then I started thinking, like, "Man, I'm still still kind of hungry." And I said, "You know what? But I don't want that, that that feeling in my stomach." So I went to a plant burger place. The next day, or th- sorry, that same day. So I had a I had a burger for lunch and a plant based burger at night. Just so you know, and uh, I tell you what, man, I, I got to go with the plant burger. I think it tastes better. I don't think yeah. it has anything to do with anything else. It just tastes better for me.
0: Well, that's the key. Going back to what I said, you've got to deliver on that first proposition. You know, if the plant burger didn't taste good, you wouldn't have gone back, and that business went have- to succeeded. So you've always got to deliver on the job that the consumer hires you to do.
1: Now, what was interesting about that restaurant is they make the 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 plant beef in the actual place itself, I believe. Mm-hmm. How How is that possible? I thought that takes like forever to make.
0: Well, I didn't taste it. I'm willing to bet it's not quite as good as some of the Products offered by Beyond Meat, where okay. there's real no, definitely not uh, science and process going into it. So, well, you know, people can mush stuff together, and you put enough spices on it or enough right. grease, it can still taste pretty good.
1: Yeah, the thing I just don't feel bad about eating, and that's the best part is when you eat a big burger like that. And the ingredients are good. the you know, the tomatoes are good as well. Now, the the jerky that you're making you know how long does it take to make that i mean chef crafted where does it begin where does it end
0: brilliant mushroom very short life cycle um i mean it takes a lot of prep time but growing them only takes a few weeks Mm. so we pick the mushrooms we bring them to a smokehouse the same kind of facility where beef jerky is made but obviously not on our equipment and um you basically once the mushrooms are picked you have about 10 days before you have to smoke them um and so you know you're talking less than two months from when the product is start growing to when it ends up in a bag
1: okay now mushrooms themselves your first product line is this jerky are you planning on expanding to different forms of mushrooms
0: well we're starting with the jerky and We'll see where it goes. Obviously, you've got to make sure your first product line succeeds. Mm. Uh, But when we think about the guardrails of Eat the change, it's all about what I said, you know, that plant-based or fungi-based organic biodiversity. It's great to start with mushrooms, but it's not confined to mushrooms. And we expect to expand this platform into multiple uh, snacking occasions.
1: Now, this... To my knowledge, and correct me if I'm wrong, Seth, uh, Eat the Change started in 2020. Was this started out of the pandemic or did, it ex- did the pandemic accelerate <laughs> that? How are you planning the change in this new way of living?
0: Well, it wasn't timed around the pandemic except that we recognized this was not the right time to launch a new brand in the midst of the pandemic. So what we did in 2020 was a lot of the planning. And designing, mm. and it's rare you get that chance to really think expansively, thinking about the branding the right way, um, the design of the even the logo, all these things that you know when you're in a business you just have to move so quickly. So we really was a luxury to be able to think about the the brand of the business and to launch the grants program. You know we launched the grants program before we launched the brand, mm. but that helped us further define exactly what we want to support and stand for. So that was good. And and now we're just launching the brand into retail. And so it's fun to see the retailers respond. And of course, the next few weeks, we'll start to see how consumers respond.
1: Now, you mentioned the, the logo aspect of this, and that's got to be the most fun part. But also, a lot of people have different opinions. Can you kind of walk our audience through how you came up with the design for the yeah. logo?
0: You know, we did a a whole blog about it because it really was this case of a bunch of things came together, um, different symbols. We were trying to communicate balance and harmony and sort of optimism. And we worked with the designers who we'd been with at Honest Tea, these two wonderful women who I've known for decades now, and really created something unique. So it looks a little bit like the yin-yang, where you see the contrasting colors and balance. It looks a little bit like a, a wave, and that could be a wave of change. Um, some people have said it looks a little bit like an embryo, uh, which could be the form of a new life or a hopeful sign. And other people have seen it like sunrise, so that's you mm. know, the beginning of a new day. And my point of view is like all of that work, whatever you see in it is you know, fine with me as long as it sort of communicates that sense of hopefulness uh, and thinking about balance.
1: I saw that as the yin yang, and I love the yin and the yang because it's it's order and chaos, chaos and mm-hmm. order. What cha- what chaos has come with you know starting a company like this <laughs> in your personal life and also in your professional life?
0: That's just par for the course. I mean, that's the life of being an entrepreneur. It, you know, dealing with uncertainty, um, dealing with a world that is not perfect, but I mean that's you know how we all live too, right? So. Um, the difference this time around, in contrast to Honest Tea, which was 23 years ago, is that I have a little more perspective. And I think uh, when I launched Honest Tea, every crisis was something I lost sleep over, and you know, terrified, and I was grinding my teeth to the point where I would have, um, you know, I'd have to get. Uh, I ended up getting a mouth guard because my just really? teeth were were, were breaking. Wow. Um, this time I, I actually did crack a tooth uh, last month, so not a good sign. But I, I do have more perspective. I understand that it's part of the journey, and the journey is the destination. You know, the the goal here is to continue to learn and bring people along on this journey with us. And and um, so I, I'm savoring the journey a little more than I might have it through my honesty days.
1: I've heard that from Kobe Bryant, Tom Brady. Uh, maybe elaborate on that a little bit more, that, that the dream is the journey.
0: Yeah, it's just a partial learning, um, curiosity, exploring new things, stretching yourself in new directions. You know, the, the only destination is when you're done. And I don't like to think of myself as being done.
2: Uh,
0: it's, it's continuing to build this. And until the world doesn't face climate change as a real risk you know i'm going to keep working on it so mm. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid it'll be a busy for a few more decades
1: uh seth what have you learned from all this what's really worked for you i mean are you into meditation are you into exercise uh, obviously you eat healthy what are some things that work for you
0: yeah uh, exercise really helps it's um critical to have a vehicle to take out tensions to be able to have solitary time to think through things and process them. I always feel more balanced and better perspective exercising. Um, I have always invested in relationships, especially with my wife. um, And so making sure that that is healthy and strong and so that there's trust and and openness um, and being a willingness to share, whether it's fear or hopes, being a transparent there, it's too much. You're carrying if it's all bottled up inside of you. So those things are critical. And then having great partners, you know, the employees who are building this, my co-founder Spike, as well as the on the team, a lot of whom I worked with over previous enterprises, just makes it a more joyful undertaking.
1: And have you felt that people that are coming to your organization are coming with the sh- same sense of shared values?
0: Yeah, there's clearly an expectation, you know, based on my track record and, and the brands that I'm building, that you're not just checking a box here. <laughs> and I don't want to just, you know, check in the box. I want folks who who feel a cause here, who, who are driven to uh, find a way to make their work meaningful. That said, you know, we still need a financial statement to be accurate. <laughs> so I've got to choose competence every time. But... It's really wonderful to feel like this is a, a a journey we're on together, something we all care about.
1: Now, Seth, someone told me this is a leadership podcast, so maybe I ask you about leadership a little bit. Um, starting with the company from uh, a small stage to then scaling it, how do the responsibilities change and, and maybe your perspective mm-hmm. or, or takeaways from that growth?
0: Yeah, that's an interesting question because I'm one of the few entrepreneurs who stick around to scale the business. You know, a lot of entrepreneurs start up a business, sell it off and start the next thing. And I find that the work, I enjoy all phases of the business. Um, And ultimately it's all the same work, it's just at a different scale. So the first task any entrepreneur has to have is to create the vision, to think about what is the purpose of the business, how we communicate it and to spread it. So to be the advocate and 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 you know a lot of in the early stages it's, it's one-on-one conversations with a buyer or a partner or an investor or the first employees, but then as you grow the business it's just that same conversation with more folks, hmm. and then it's attracting and raising the resources to grow the business, make sure the the team has the tools to deploy, and so usually that's money, and of course with honesty starting early it was raising $25,000 at a time, which was a lot of conversations where I probably succeeded in one out of 10 10 conversations, I'd get a check written. And then of course, with Beyond Meat, we raised much larger sums, but it really was the same conversations, maybe different investors, but that same discipline. And then the, the third key piece is hiring the right people and putting them in the right positions and helping them achieve success to carry out the vision. And so um, there too, you've got to get the team right. And if you get the team right early, then it's scalable. If you don't create the right values or right expectations, it's not scalable. So, you know, what we're doing with Eat the Change this year, this first year where we have nine employees, is a lot of um, focus on developing this team, developing the norms of the company, how we interact, how we communicate, what we expect of each other. And if we get it right, it's scalable.
1: Now, how are you articulating those norms? How are you articulating that vision, especially uh, you know, being...
0: Virtually, yeah. So we have a lot of company meetings. It's funny because I am not a big meeting person. I don't stretch it out. Um, but twice a week, we'll have company-wide calls where everyone checks in, gives updates, and, you know, usually it's 15 minutes, but we've had ones that have 15. If we check the box, we're done. We don't need to sit here for an hour. Uh, and then I also have one-on-one meetings with all of my directors, rep- And actually probably right now it's twice a week, just because so much is happening. Uh, we're at a point of launching the business, getting production right. Uh, and so there's a lot of um, checking in on people and making sure they have the right guidance, the right resources they need to execute.
1: How do you know when your team's like a well-oiled machine? I mean, do you, is that just yeah. a feeling you have?
0: It is, and there's a, but there's a lot of indicators. And so there have been, I'm really fortunate with this Eat the Change new business where something, happened, and it's exactly what I would have done if I had gotten involved, but I didn't get involved. And so, and I'll certainly reinforce when that's the case. Guys, like that was uh, there was a crisis there, and you handled it exactly the right way. Mm. Um, And so you, and uh, of course, alternatively, when you see things that aren't right, you're able to intervene and help people rethink how we would have approached it.
1: Now, when you were at Calvert Investments, did you have an emphasis on like data-driven decisions? And now, in this day and age, like how many. And you had to give me like a ratio, like how many or maybe it's not a ratio, just how do you see data driven decisions versus going with your gut?
0: You know, one of the things I like about being an entrepreneur is very very gut driven. When you try to ground your decisions in facts, but you can get so mired in data, you lose sight of what's happening. And we saw it so often in the company. Um, I remember where, Coca-Cola had done some testing of Honest Kids, our kids drink, and they said, you know, we we looked at the data and kids don't prefer your drink. They said, yeah. Um, we knew that. That's how we designed it. <laughs> we wanted it to taste good enough that a parent um, would choose it and the kid wouldn't reject it. Hmm. We knew that parents would favor it because of the calorie profile, um, so all we had to do was make it taste good enough, which, of course, isn't a great marketing slogan, but they just, you know, when you get so data driven, you miss the context for a purchase or a repurchase or can, or a loyalty.
1: Right. Right. Now, when it comes to like humanity and like those ethical decisions, like, have you had to make any difficult decisions where you had to choose one over the other?
0: Sure. Um, and I'd like to think there's never been occasion where I've decided not to do something that's in the consistent with the mission of the brand mm. but I've had to recognize the time curve the arc we're on so you know as we learned about fair trade we realized this was something we got to do with all of our tea suppliers and of course with sugar but we also knew we couldn't do it overnight and so in 2003 after we launched the first fair trade bottled tea it took us eight years to get the rest of the line to be fair trade certified. And of course, we did it, and the brand is still all fair trade certified and, and, and growing. Um, but if we'd made the early decision to go fair trade in 2003, we could have taken the business under. Our margins would have been compressed, or we would have raised our price to the point where it wasn't financially viable. So I think it's just important to recognize, like I said, the journey. And as long as you're sticking it out, then it's fine to take it in a way that is, you know, sustainable.
1: Seth, I've had a, a few guests come on the show and they're just like, you know, you can't manage what you can't measure and you hear it time and time again. Some people have proven me wrong on that, but how do you kind of see that like theory of not being able to manage what you can't measure? And are you taking into account your impact metrics?
2: Uh,
0: yes. And for me, the best way to measure your impact is to ingrain your mission into your product. And they'll just do everything you can to sell as much of your product as you can. So, Steve, we wonder, are we promoting organic? Yes, we sell the product. Are we promoting fair trade? Every time we sell the product. Same with Beyond We knew that every time we sold a Beyond Burger, we were helping somebody who very likely it was going to choose an animal-based product. And so the best way to measure that was to understand the environmental footprint of one burger. And we learned it uses 99% less water, 93% less land, a lot of positive aspects. And then just sell millions of burgers, mm. ideally billions of burgers, and your impact magnifies with it.
1: What are some of the science claims? And that makes a lot of sense because I was thinking about uh, freshwater use. And like, it's like 98% of the world's fresh is like goes to that agriculture, goes to those farms. Oh, yeah. uh, has, have you come across any other scientific revelations that have kind of just like taking you back?
0: Well, I was surprised when we learned that there are six crops that represent 57% of all agriculture.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: There's so many plants. There's hundreds of thousands of plants in the world. And the idea that we should be so dependent on six crops is absurd not to mention a huge risk when you think about climate shocks or a disease that could kill off a crop. So we've got to diversify our diets to create a more resilient planet.
1: Now, mushrooms are really interesting. Have you, written, have you read into any other research about mushrooms? And like
0: oh, there's of tons. Them? Yeah, it's amazing. They're, they talk about mushrooms as the, uh, the wood wide web, this kind of Guts of the earth that really helps trees communicate w- with each other. Um, they play a incredible role even in bioremediation. I mean, sometimes literally in an oil spill, but in other cases, just helping earth and uh, ideally correct some of man's less sustainable habits. So, mushrooms are only going to grow both in um, Popularity in diet, but also being appreciated for the role they play in in our making the planet more livable.
1: I think it's interesting Interesting topic because Paul Stamets, who came on the show, is yeah. the number one podcast for some reason. People flock to Paul Stamets and love mushrooms. Now he talked about mycelium and the mycelium yeah. network that you're that you're describing here. And one mushroom can have a mycelium network of acres underneath it. Amazing. It's crazy what they can do. The other thing that's interesting about it is coronavirus. There's more diseases coming from subtropical areas spread by mosquitoes. One of the things that can attract those mosquitoes away from major populations are mushrooms. Wow. So there's so many benefits. And when it comes to health, it's another great aspect of that. Now, Are you looking I can ask this question earlier, are you looking into any other types of mushrooms other than just the the two?
0: Well, we're always playing around with mushrooms. And at the restaurant, we use the fruiting body of an oyster mushroom Mm. to make a product we call our crispy chicken fungi sandwich. So we're looking at lots of different varieties, but we also have to make what we put in a package is both scalable and affordable. And so portobello and cremini, are some of the more scaled crops that we can put into a package and still offer our product for you know less than six dollars
1: and pennsylvania is the like the capital of mushrooms right
0: mushroom capital of the world yeah kennett square pennsylvania supplies 64 percent of all the mushrooms consumed in the united states so it's a incredible but all comes from the
1: well, I'm excited to see kind of where this goes, how these consumer habits will change. And, you know, we, we talked a lot about today about kind of why you started this in the first place, why you left the other organizations to continue this journey, this destination. Now, let's wrap this up and bring this home, Seth. What is your definition of a real leader?
0: For me, a real leader is somebody who gets people to follow them, not because they have a position or a title but because their ideas and their example are so compelling that people feel inspired to take the course um, created by that leader.
1: Well, Seth, 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 it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Hope you stick around for a few questions afterwards. Happy to. Uh, but for Seth Goldman, I'm Kevin Edwards. asking you to go out there, influence others with your ideas and example. And always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Seth. Thanks, Kevin. All right, good people. Thanks for hanging on to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast. Cool thing about Crowdcast is you get to be a part of the conversation. I saw a few questions flying in here. Um, and the first one uh, is this, Seth. It's, is ETC the change employee-owned?
0: Uh, yes, we have employee who owns stock. It's not entirely employee-owned. We also have other shareholders, but every employee has stock in the company for sure.
1: Uh, are you interested in ESOPs at all? That tends, tends to be a new trend that's coming up.
0: My challenge with them is how do I create an exit for our investors? You know, we did raise money from investors. And so I've just got to make sure I can deliver on that. Mm. So I'm not opposed to it. Uh, but uh, like I say, it, in every company I've been with, The employees have had meaningful equity stakes in what we're doing so that whatever the outcome, they benefited. And and both with honesty and beyond me, um, people had a really nice outcome.
1: Seth, this one comes in from Jonathan, and he asks, Seth, how do you see regenerative agriculture moving into the forefront, improving climate and supporting biodiversity?
0: It's critical. and. I'm a huge supporter and believe in regenerative agriculture. The one frustration I have is that the principles of organic agriculture, I believe, really are the same as regenerative. And so uh, I don't think there's a need to create a third standard. I would rather see us really invest and support organic. And if we can do that and make that something people look for, which obviously we're trying to do with Eat the Change, and we did with Honest CEO as well. I hope that will be part of it. But you can't leave it out. And so I've had conversations with some of the folks focused on hydroponics uh, and some other forms of agriculture, and I say, but what about the soil? You know, there's we need to be investing in soil. And so sustainable agriculture, as well, of course, as avoiding you know, clear-cutting forests, and other things are going to be an important part of that.
1: Definitely. And it, doesn't the soil have a great effect on carbon sequestering as well?
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. And if you can either have, keep forests or uh, adopt no-till farming and other organic farming methods, you have a much better shot of protecting it.
1: Hmm, interesting. Another one comes in from Madeline, and she asks, what was the turning point for you to go plant-based?
2: It's
0: a fun
1: one. So
0: we started as vegetarians 15 years ago now. My oldest son was having his bar mitzvah, and he had already been vegetarian uh, for three years. He had already convinced his brothers to be vegetarian. But as part of mitzvah, uh, he presented a Torah interpretation, which was all about the kosher preparation of animals which involves spilling out the blood. And they say you shouldn't drink the blood because the blood is the life and you shouldn't eat the life. He says, if we're concerned with not eating the life, let's not kill the animal. And if we can meet our dietary needs without having to kill animals, why wouldn't we try to do that?
2: Mm.
0: So we started as a family to be vegetarian then. And we're happy with the decision from an ethical perspective, but frequently disappointed when it was burger night <laughs> or, or other occasions. And so we were always looking for that, something that could help bridge that. Of course, that's what Beyond Meat did. And we became vegan just about a year ago um, when we, after seeing the Game Changers, and my middle son said, I'm going to do this. And we said, we'll try it. And actually, it's been a really positive impact on our family through the dynamic. It's made us much more thoughtful and mindful about our food. And particularly in a year where this pandemic, which is a, based on a zoonotic disease, made it feel like we are um, thinking about our food choices in a more comprehensive way and a mindful way.
1: Interesting. It is a zoonotic disease. That is interesting. I never thought about that in terms of uh, veganism as well. Now, do you have to supplement your diet at all? Do you have to take uh, pills or anything like that?
0: I take a, what do you call it? Just a, a centrum, you know, a, a, a vitamin which I'm told you should be taking anyway. <laughs>
2: um,
0: so I, I think I'd be taking that if I were a vegetarian or not, just because you need to make sure you're getting all the nutrients. Um, but I actually feel better than, than I have. And, and it's neat to see my, I do a lot of swimming. Uh, my swim times now have been faster than they've ever been. And my biking summer was better than it had ever been as well. So it's good to feel like even as you're getting older, you're not necessarily declining.
1: Interesting. Yeah, that was a, a big part of that movie. The game changers is like, you know, athletes can't compete with each other yeah. on, you know, non or yeah, non-meat or just plant-based diets.
0: Much better recovery too. Quicker. Oh, okay. And just less soreness.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, this one comes in from Julie and she asks, excellent perspectives. Question. As a leader mm-hmm. in this space, how do you think ahead to adjust to competitive? and innovative challenges?
0: Well, the best way to do that is to keep innovating um, without even thinking about the question. You know, one of the things I said at both Beyond Meat and with the change is, you know, you, you steer by the stars, not by the other ships, right? You have to think about where you want to go and don't worry about what people are doing around you. So we should challenge ourselves to keep improving our product, uh, improving our packaging, improving everything all the time. Um, sometimes there's competitors out there that have a little different approach and it's worth questioning what you're doing. And Ideally, your answers hold up and ideally the consumer agrees. But we never tried to respond to, cons- to, to competition as much as anticipate where we hope consumers can go.
1: Well, Seth, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. That was the last fan question. Hey, thanks everyone for hanging on to this interview. Let's head Now, Seth, any last words you have for where people can find more information about Eat the Change?
0: Thank you. Yeah, so eatthechange.com is the site for the business and we actually do take orders there. We also have eatthechange.org where we give information about the wonderful change makers we're funding around the country that are helping promote planet-friendly diets in communities that often lack access to them. So look, this is a movement. We have a brand, but we want everybody to eat the change. We want everybody to take steps. And we're having a fun promotion coming up in April where we wanna empower people to take those steps as well. So keep an eye out for that.
1: And real quick as well, said, this just rolled out to stores. Where can I find a bag of this jerky?
0: Yes, it's just launching in stores. So here in the Mid-Atlantic, it's going to be in Whole Foods and Moms and uh, selected giant stores. And out west, uh, we're launching at Air One next month, uh, as well as PCC and Huckleberries. So a lot of the West Coast. And wherever you don't see it, ask for it.
1: <laughs> exactly, I will definitely get it down to San Diego, Seth. Appreciate your time coming on the Realtors Podcast, folks. This episode be a part of the movement. Listen to this episode again, share with people, uh, follow us uh, on the Crowdcast or on our all of our channels where this episode will be released on this coming Wednesday. Um, that's it for me, Seth. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks. Always keep it real. And thank you, good people, for hanging on to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast with Seth Goldman. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Now, folks, you got a little glimpse, a little taste of what it's like to be a part of a Crowdcast live interview for The Real Leaders Podcast. And I want you to be a part of the next one. All you got to do is go online to real-leaders.com slash podcast and rsvp for an upcoming interview with another real leader also if you could if you have time today please leave me a review let us know what you think how we can improve the show and who you'd like to see next that's it for me thanks for being a real leader and stay tuned for the next episode